You are listening to Lunchtime Live with Andrea Gilligan. We're here till two o'clock this Thursday afternoon, 1800 453 106. That's the number if you want to get in touch with us. Now, we've been talking about endometriosis here on the programme for a number of weeks now. Many women have been getting in touch with me to share their experience, to tell me their story. It's something that is experienced by about one in 10 women in Ireland. So here's some of the women who've got in touch over the past number of weeks to tell me their journey. The Irish uh, healthcare system for endometriosis is absolutely disgraceful. So a lot of women that you'll speak to in Ireland are going to other countries to get the care for this. Because I was told that it was IBS um, and just brushed off, it worsened. So I wasn't diagnosed till I was 27 and I began having symptoms at 14. I would see an excruciating pain to the point where there were times where I would be scared that I'd black out. Um, I wouldn't like to be, you know, left by myself or home alone when I was on my period just because the pain was so bad. And it was actually listening to one of these shows that my mom um, messaged me from Ireland and said that I probably should go to the doctors. I didn't get a diagnosis until I was 26 years of age. I was basically told, um, do you want to have babies? If so, you've about seven years because you've got severe spread of endometriosis. So that's just a short snippet of some of the women who've got in touch here in Lunchtime Live and told me about their experience of endometriosis and even this morning I came in and I've multiple more emails from people who want to get in contact so I thought we have to do something about it we can't just you know keep chatting to people about individual single stories we need to try and get a better understanding of what it is how we're currently dealing with it in this country and how could we do things maybe that little bit better because as you heard there in the in the clip from some of the the ladies um, their experience hasn't been great and it's it's gone on for, for a long period of time. So to chat about it today, I have a special panel of people with me. I'm going to be talking to more women who are still dealing and suffering with endometriosis. We'll be hearing from some, some of the politicians a little bit later in the programme to find out what exactly they can do, if anything. And I'm joined at the moment in studio by Alana Darcy, who's from the Endometriosis Association of Ireland, Dr Peter Boylan, who's the former master of the National Maternity Hospital, and also as well Siobhan Kelleher, who's the founder and CEO of OnaWave, which is a medical and innovator in the femtech area. Um, Siobhan's here to talk to us as well about some of the, the research that she's been carrying out. Peter, if you don't mind, I might just start with you, because... I'm conscious not everybody will know a huge amount about endometriosis if you haven't been listening to the show or you don't know somebody who has it. So you might just explain, if you can briefly, what is endometriosis? It's a condition where the lining of the womb, the uterus, is outside the womb and it can be in the pelvis, on the ovaries. It can spread throughout the body, but usually within the abdominal cavity. And The lining of the end of the uterus normally um, proliferates during the menstrual cycle and then it sheds and that's what a period is, is where where the endometrium is coming away. So when it's uh, located outside the uterus, it sets up an inflammatory response which causes pain and it can also cause scarring and adhesions and it's associated with extremely painful periods. If it gets into the actual body of the uterus, it's called adenomyosis and that can cause very heavy and very painful periods and be very debilitating. Are you born with it? No, um, because you don't start menstruating, obviously, until you reach the reach puberty. So uh, it's a condition that develops. And interestingly enough, some women can have it but not know it uh, mm. because they've no symptoms. And, of course, we only hear about the women who've got bad symptoms. 
Is it a is it a disease? Well, anything that makes you ill is a disease. So yes. So it if, is. If it, it, is if it affects you badly, yes, it is a disease. Is it genetic? There are seem to be some genetic components to it. So, for example, it can run in the family. So if your sister or your mother has a history of it and you have very painful periods, it may well be that it's due to endometriosis. There's an association. Now, the, the genetic work is in its very early stages, so you can't absolutely okay. say for definite. How is it diagnosed? The Really, the best way to diagnose it is by laparoscopy, where you put a little telescope under general anaesthetic in through the belly button and have a look in at the pelvis. That's the way you definitively diagnose it. There is talk about diagnosing it with an MRI scan, but that's nowhere near as as accurate, if you like, and won't pick up early endometriosis. And early endometriosis can be extremely painful, and some women with very advanced endometriosis don't have as much pain. So if a woman has really painful periods uh, and heavy periods and is interfering with her life, Mm. there's a fair chance that she's got endometriosis. Curable? Yes. uh, It can certainly be, well, it can be managed extremely well. Um, and it can be treated to the extent where it's not present anymore. So I suppose that would be defined as a cure, yes. Is surgery the only option? No, there's medical treatment and um, the new sort of approach to it is to treat women on the basis that they have it if they have the symptoms. So, for example, if a young woman has extremely painful periods, you treat her on the basis that she may have endometriosis. But uh, if she then has persistent symptoms despite sort of minor treatment like Mm. going on the pill continuously or taking a Mirena coil, for example, to suppress periods. Uh, if she then gets into her childbearing years where she wishes to become pregnant, well, then she may well need to have a definitive diagnosis made. Yeah, I was going to ask you to bust some of the, the endo myths for me. Does pregnancy cure endometriosis? It suppresses it, certainly. So if a woman gets pregnant, um, there's a fair chance that she won't have a severe symptoms afterwards. It's it's not universally true, but certainly one of the best treatments is to get pregnant, which, of course, is a bit um, sort of anomalous, mm. really, because a lot of times there's problems in getting pregnant and it, and it presents with infertility. Hysterectomy is something that a lot of women have talked to me about and told me was the journey that they had to go down. I take it that's not the treatment for endometriosis. It's certainly not the primary treatment. But, for example, if you have a woman, say, in her 40s who's completed her family and has adenomyosis and it's crippling her with her periods, extremely painful, extremely heavy and interfering with her life, well, then a hysterectomy may be the appropriate thing. But it's certainly the last thing you would do in a younger woman and certainly in a woman who hasn't yet had a family and who wishes to have a family in the future. Because it's, it's, uh, it's not just a physical thing having a hysterectomy. It's a can have very serious psychological consequences. I thought it was worth just, I suppose, you know, you hear lots of things about endometriosis and and what it is and, you know, lots of different myths like that. And I I thought it was worth just taking time today to to go through it. Alana, we know what it is. Um, We know that one in 10 women deal with it, deal with endometriosis or have the diagnosis in Ireland. So if we're so clear, as Peter has pointed out, about what it is and how we address it, why are there so many problems? with women and endometriosis in Ireland? Yeah, uh, so I think that's a good question. I think from from my standpoint, I think we're learning to know what it is. I think like if if you look back to, you know, years ago, it was considered at one point that it was caused by, it was an STD or an STI was then considered to be like PID. 
Um, it was considered that, I think, as you said, you know, the lining of the womb found elsewhere in the body, retrograde men- menstruation. But we now know it's it's kind of more tissue similar to the lining of the womb and that it's not a gynecological issue like it used to be related to or, you know, related as. It's more of a full body issue. It's been found on every organ of the body. So I think, I think we're still learning uh, about it, which is partly why... There's a bit of a barrier there. Um, fundamentally, I think in Ireland, there's a, there is a long way to go in, in terms of the facilities um, available uh, to patients. There's a lot more needs to be done in terms of education, research, etc. Um, so, like, I think we need to start with education and awareness at young age mm. so that they, they're aware of their symptoms. They can present to a, a GP, which is obviously the first place that they're going to go, armed with enough information to empower themselves to get the diagnosis they need. Like you're from the Endometriosis yeah. Association of Ireland. So there's a good reason as to why that had to be set up. Yeah, so it was set up in 1987 by a lady called M- Mildred Gilmore. So it, it's been ongoing for a while. And back then, if we think about, I, I, I appreciate obviously that people are you know, having an awful time with it at the moment. But back then she was probably presenting to a, a doctor maybe not even able to say the word period uh, out loud. You know what I mean? So things have definitely improved, um, but the the progress has been slow. I think, you know, if if I start more closer to home as a charity, we ourselves have undergone a, a lot of change. There's been capacity issues within the charity, which has negatively affected the amount of support we've been able to provide the community and the perception of us within that community. I think now we have more stability. We have a, a full complement on the board. We've just onboarded two staff. Um, and we are in a much stronger position now to be able to provide mm. the support the community deserves. We- one, one of the things, uh, Milana, just to, before I bring in Siobhan as well, one of the things that, you know, so many women have told me about, and like even the emails today, it's the long period of time that it takes yeah. to even get a diagnosis. A diagnosis. Yeah. Why is that? So we fundamentally, we, we the waiting lists are just, so if we start at the start, you present first to a GP. Um, in the past, there was a lot of gaslighting, a lot of kind of dismissal of people's symptoms, sent away with pain medication, and then maybe somebody would end up in A&E kind of crippled with pain. So starting point is more awareness and education at GP level to recognise the symptoms. There's a national endometriosis framework being developed by the National Women, Infants and Health Programme, the NWIP. Um, and it's trying to seek to address some of these issues. So at GP level, there the guidance is now that it should be on a presumed diagnosis. The thought process being that it should provide better access to care. But from, I think, as we said earlier, the only way to diagnose endometriosis is via laparoscopy. There's no marker, there's no blood mm. test that can be done to diagnose it. And fundamentally, people, you can't see somebody's pain. So it, it can mean that people are left unheard and, and, you know, not really listened to because there's no way to see somebody's pain. And it is an invasive procedure to diagnose it properly. And this causes awful is- issues because the availability of people who are able to do uh, laparoscopies or excision surgery yeah. is very limited. So is it just is it just then, Peter, that we don't have the the experienced staff and clinicians to to deal with this, the awareness among them? Well, I think the point that Alana makes um, about pain is very well made because you can't measure pain. You can give somebody a scale and say, where is it on, on this scale? But there isn't a test for pain. And I think that's why maybe um, a lot of women might have been dismissed in the past as, well, just get on with it, you cope with it, periods are always painful. But I think with education and so on, I think that that attitude will change. 
But certainly, I mean, the only way to diagnose it really is, is with laparoscopy. And we do have serious infrastructural problems uh, with staffing and access to operating theatres and so on in Ireland. So we just don't so have enough, the, the wait times are too long, is this to, to get in for that? I mean, a GP will see somebody and maybe refer them to a public clinic, but it could be a year or two or more um, before she actually gets seen in the clinic. And then she has to go on a waiting list for a laparoscopy and with all of the problems. And one of the difficulties in the Irish Health Service over the years is that the first um, the first service to get curtailed when there is restrictions is the gynaecology service. That's what happens in all the general hospitals around the country. And it's that's um, women just get shoved down the list because it's not regarded as as a you know a serious illness. It's not like cancer. It's not like well, that's why I asked earlier: it. is it a disease? Because if it was any other disease, we'd you know probably well, I think get... you know I'm a man, but I think if if men had it, it would be right up yeah. the list. <laughs> That's a kind of a cliche, but I yeah. think it's it's true. And and number that of women have made that point to me in yeah. previous yeah, stories. Yeah, but I mean the yeah. the, num- the the experience around the country is that when when there's a, a problem in the health service that and you need to have cutbacks and in in the hospitals around the country with staff shortages, or whatever, the first place to get closed down or, or restricted is the gynaecology service. If, and that's, that's a disgrace. Siobhan, I just want to bring you in on this because as we, we've identified there's a problem and Peter's talked about the, you know, the, the long, the wait list and the impact to actually get people in to carry out the, uh, the test or procedures to identify and diagnose endometriosis. But I've been reading about you and, and you're sort of involved now in kind of the more future, um, research, I suppose, in looking at endometriosis. So tell me a little bit about what you've identified. So I've spent the last six years researching endometriosis and I guess we don't know an awful lot about the disease. We don't know the causes. We It varies um, depending on what type of woman you speak to or her experience of the healthcare system, what country she lives in and the treatment she gets. Um, I also read and looked at that long wait and there's a global endocost study. This isn't just an Irish problem, it's a global problem. And it was conducted in 10 centres across Europe and the US. And they found out it took an average seven years and seven different doctor visits to get a referral for a surgery to diagnose endometriosis. So we're not alone. But in Ireland, it is slightly longer. You know, Kathleen King did a study some years ago Mm. and it was nine years and for younger women, 12 years. So we set about to address that. And what we are developing is a wearable device which will be prescribed by a doctor and a woman will wear at home for 30 minutes and it will measure a biosignal in her body. And when we compare it to a data set using AI, we'll be able to give the likelihood of this woman having endometriosis. So this would cut out the um, the scope that you talked about? So it would hopefully, hopefully yes, would get brilliant. the right um, person to surgery quicker. Because as Alana has said, we need more education. We need women not to doubt themselves. And at the moment, they do doubt themselves. They think it's in their heads. You know, you don't talk openly about it in the very beginning. You know, it's only when you hear or see news clips or, you know, hear news talk that you realise that sounds like me. So we need to educate younger women because we need to intervene early to stop the progression of the disease before it gets to that later stage. The average wait time, um, Alana, from from like from you talking to other people through the association, like the listeners have been telling me for the last uh, couple of weeks here in the show, roughly about 10 years is the average. 
Yeah, well, yeah, it, like it varies depending on the person, but absolutely wouldn't wouldn't surprise me. And and from there, after getting the diagnosis, there's then a wait time to get the treatment, um, which exacerbates things. Um, you know, like the wait lists in in so obviously Tala is one of the two super regional, like the specialist centres. There's going to be one in Cork, which is under development, and Tala is there, but it's not fully resourced. But even trying to get a, a an appointment there, or you know, or it, 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 the, the wait time is enormous. And they so then there's people who are trying to go through the public system. There's an awful wait time, and maybe then trying to mm. go to private care don't have health insurance, then they can't get health insurance because it's a pre-existing condition. And it's just, you know, trying to access the care is so difficult at the moment. I know they're trying to deal with that and they are trying to develop the framework. It hasn't been published just yet. Just explain, Alana, what now should happen through this um, this new clinic in Tala. So the clinic in Tala is supposed to be for the complex cases. Um, now, the, the framework, they, they announced the development of the framework last March, I think it was. The framework hasn't yet been published. Um, after the Oireachtas session that, that we attended, we did get a meeting with the NWIP um, and, you know, the framework and input into the framework. We did a survey with our members and it came out as number one priority is input into this framework as obviously a way to alleviate the suffering that everyone's feeling. But it, it, starting at GP level, is supposed to be under a presumed diagnosis basis. In theory, you know, mm. you know, it should create access to care, but we're not sure. From there, then, there's the two specialist centres, which are supposed to be for complex cases. But the the way it's kind of done is we're, we're estimating the number of cases we believe to be complex. The problem is this, there's not enough data um, available in terms of the number of sufferers, how how they're suffering because it's such a diverse mm. disease. So they're, they're estimating the number of complex cases they think will need to be seen, yeah. but we don't know for sure. So we're, t- we're talking about figures of about, you know, one in 10, according to your own association, yeah. one in 10 yeah. roughly in, in, in Ireland. But I mean, from, from your own, you know, data as well, Siobhan, have you found that to be higher? Is it? We don't know because we can't diagnose. So it could potentially be higher. You know, we know there's 200 million women globally. It's not a small problem. It's a very big problem. There's a lot of women looking for answers and actively looking for it. I think, you know, change is slow, but I think for any for those women who have been phoning in, I suppose to have hoped there is more research happening, not in just our group, but also across Ireland and globally in terms of looking mm. for, you know, ways to identify earlier biomarkers yeah. other than just digital biomarkers, molecular biomarkers as well. And that there are other um, research groups looking into the genetic components, mm-hmm. into the microbiome. You know, this is a multifactorial disease and we need more funding into fundamental research to understand it so we can understand the mechanisms and then develop devices or new treatments to address that. I've been told, Peter, from people who've been getting in touch with me that there's just not enough gynees or um, consultant gynaecologists who specialise in endometriosis. Is that part of the issue? I think it probably is, yes. Um, There is another special clinic in the Coombe Hospital, um, which is not a super regional centre or anything like that. But that's a, a, a clinic that was set up many years ago to look specifically at endometriosis. A lot of gynaecologists would um, see cases of endometriosis sort of incidentally without specialising in it, whereas some of the uh, doctors involved in fertility treatments would have a lot more experience because they'd obviously see it a lot more. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, somebody mentioned that to me only last week about silent endometriosis. They didn't even know they had it until they went through two and three rounds of IVF, were unsuccessful, and then all of a sudden they're Mm. getting a diagnosis of endometriosis. So the reality is that these figures... 
could be so much higher. Well, I think, yeah, Siobhan said that the 10% is probably an underestimate, really, because mm. a lot of women will have it and they don't know it. And they only find out then when they're going through investigations for fertility treatment. So what do we, what, like, what, from a medical perspective, Peter, what, what, if you were to sit down, you know, meeting today and you could draw up an endometriosis plan or a clinic or framework, whatever we want to call it for the future, what should it look like? Well, I think an awareness campaign is, is the first thing, both among the medical profession and among women, um, to be aware. And the second thing is, I think that a lot of, you know, straightforward early endometriosis can be quite adequately managed by a general gynaecologist. There's no problem with that. And then you need to have specialists who are dealing with the more complex cases. And then people who are involved in fertility treatment, obviously, will be very, very familiar with treatment of endometriosis. But I think the thing, the main issue, I think, is making the diagnosis earlier. A 10-year wait from the presentation or, or development of symptoms is unacceptable. Mm. Uh, and the loss, of, the, the loss of, I suppose, living, you know, in that time yeah, as well. It's not just living. I mean, it's, it's the interference with life. It's taking time off work. Yeah. It's teachers having to absent themselves from the classroom. It's, you know, people involved in all sorts of professions. What does the future framework for you look like, Alana? Well, so I suppose we've, we've spoken to them where we have an idea of what it looks like. The It's the specialist centres and then there, there's going to be five um, regional support hubs like the COOM, the Enhanced Endometriosis Clinic. I think that the concern we have is, and I, Peter had alluded to it, like, you know, he sort of said that the presumption is that most cases can be dealt with at GP level and that's going to involve hormonal suppression of, of, of the symptoms of the disease and pain medication. But pain, this has like, been prescribed the pill, is it? The pill or, you know, other other forms and, and like pain meds. But like long term pain meds is absolutely not a solution. And the framework, again, assumes that there's going to be a small number of cases that will need to go to the specialist centre. The problem is we don't know. And how do we define complex? As Peter rightly said, you could be stage four and have your mm. organs stuck together and have no pain. And you could be stage one and be in chronic pain. So where do you define yeah, where the, the complex who comes in? Tell me they have it and, and don't even know. Siobhan, what would you just finally like to see? What would you like to see brought in or what kind of a campaign do you think we might need? I think, as Peter has said, and Alana, we need awareness for young girls to trust themselves, trust their bodies. What it is. Yeah. And from the other side, from um, GPs, they need, I guess, more education. They have to deal with a whole, you know, the whole body, loads of patients and now more so at a distance. Um, but they also need tools. For them, it's a guessing game, yeah. like literally, because yeah. somebody comes to them with pain and they don't have anything, you know. Yeah, they can also have bowel symptoms, which yeah. might be due to irritable bowel, um, a variety of other things like IBS, pain at intercourse yeah. and so on, which are, could be a variety of different causes. So IBS is often mis, the, mis, yeah. misdiagnosed. I've yeah. endometriosis mm. on my bowel, I was told it was IBS. And to the mm. point around, you know, the gynees, gynees are available, but a gyne with an interest in endo isn't going to have the experience and skill set needed okay. to identify correctly. You need colorectal surgeons, you need urologists because endo can be found anywhere and you need those specialities that we don't have. A lot of people getting in touch with us about this today, listener stories. 1800 453 106 is the number. We will have more from our panel uh, in just a few moments time. But look, you can see, you can hear that this is, it's, it's an issue. So we want to do our bit here in Lunchtime Live. We're actually going to host an endometriosis event and it's going to happen on Wednesday 
Tuesday the 25th of October at half past six in Drury Buildings in Dublin City Centre. And I want to invite you, I want to invite listeners to come along to the event. We'll have experts there on the night to answer your questions. So if you want to come along, if you want to share your experience, if you just want to meet other people who are in the same boat as you, it's not going to be broadcast anywhere. All you've got to do if you want to come is just register. You can drop me an email. That's lunchtime live at newstalk.com or you can check out our website at newstalk.com slash endo and you can register there. Now, we have our special panel here today on Lunchtime Live to talk about endometriosis. What is it? How do we improve the services in this country? And do we need a national awareness campaign? And we, we had our panel with us from the start of the programme. I'm still joined by Dr. Peter Boylan, but also in studio with me today is um, the showbiz editor with the Irish Daily Mirror, Katie Gallagher, because Katie, you too are somebody who has to live with endometriosis. Yes, I have endometriosis. I say that, as I said to you just before, I'm technically not diagnosed under the Irish system because I haven't had my laparoscopy yet. I'm I'm a few weeks out from that. I have my pre-op tomorrow. So technically I don't have it, but I have been to a gynecologist for a year and I straight every three months and he's sure I have it just yeah. from his own. Um, I suppose he has done some examinations on me and he's 100% sure I have it and that it's affecting everything, my bile and everything. So Technically, I'm not diagnosed in Ireland. Suspected. Suspected. Uh, suspected case, I suppose, is, yeah. Just to give listeners a brief insight into the impact of this for you, Katie. Um, I suppose since I started getting periods um, when I was about 12, I, I knew there was something wrong. I remember asking my mum, you know, when I was maybe 13 or 14, like, I think there's something wrong with me. And I was very, you know, one of those people when I was younger, I really want babies and I can't wait. And I had probably read that if you have irregular periods, you have heavy periods or something wrong. So I remember from really young age saying, there's something wrong here. Um, can I go to the doctor? And I remember going at that point, and I probably did sound a bit mad at that point. They're like, you're just starting and whatever. But no, lo and behold, 10 years later, I still had heavy periods. I was under mm-hmm. every pill under the sun by that stage. Um, from about 15, I was putting the pill for heavy periods. Um, nothing ever helped with it. And then... I think during COVID, maybe the past two, three years, four years, I started to get a lot worse. So I was starting to get lots of um, nausea, um, weeks maybe where I couldn't eat, um, lots of bile issues. It was literally one or the other kind of thing. Um, shooting stabbing pains where I would have to stop. Like I would think I'd pass out or like just really kind of have to lie down. Um, weakness, just so tired. And yeah, it just started, everything kind of just started to get a lot worse. And so I'd been going to the doctor a lot more again, just kind of saying, you know, pills aren't working. I don't, maybe they're actually causing an issue. But like everyone else, I kind of just kept being told, you know, it's actually, I'm from a small town, as you know yourself. I kind of was told, oh, your family have it. It's just your genes and everyone has that. It's just heavy periods. And I kind of was like, well, I never have kids. And, you know, maybe they actually have been missed with something. I don't think this is right. And um, went back and back in doctors. And then eventually one day I actually just got a random doctor. Oh, by chance he was in, other people were sick. And I told him everything I'd been telling them for years. And he suddenly started to take me serious. Not that the others didn't, but I think I was just fresh to him and yeah. knew. And I told him, you know, that I bleed very heavily and so much so that like, you know, a tampon and a pad, it would go through everything into sheets and hotels. I'm often like, you know, checking the next day. Oh my God, yeah. you know, it was that kind of thing. And so I told him that. And really, I suppose maybe a lot of people maybe are nervous to say this. Um, and I know I probably was a bit nervous when my mum made me before I went to the doctor that day. 
uh, painful sex was one of the big things and his eyes lit up. I remember, you know, my bowels and all that stuff. He was very worried about all that. When I said that, his eyes lit up. And I remember him just typing away. I think he was writing referral letters. And within a week or two, I had a gynecologist appointment. I had gastro clinic, ultrasounds. And I was up and down to Sligo for a week. And it was literally just, I got one doctor. And I keep saying, I think I got lucky that he kind of just looked at me with fresh eyes and thought, none of this is right. And that one thing I remember, he kind of said, no, that's a big problem. So... I was sent and I went to the gynecologist and on that day, again, I feel like I got lucky with the gynecologist I got that day, but he examined me and said, I think you know this yourself, but you have endo and it's affecting your bowels and drew a diagram and did everything. And literally after 10 years, within we two are. weeks, I felt like I just got lucky with two weeks and people and here we are. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your, your story with us, Katie, because I like I know what it's a very hard thing and it's a personal thing for, mm-hmm. for people to, to do as well. Orla's on the line as well. Orla, you've been listening to Katie. Like, what would you like to see change? Because you too um, suffer with endometriosis. Yeah, um, I, I don't as much now anymore, actually. I uh, I went to Romania two years ago um, to have excision surgery and I am living pain-free ever since then. So I actually had endo, I'd say two endo and adenomyosis. Um, for like the future, like, I mean, there's loads, there's several problems with the framework. Um, endometriosis certainly cannot be treated at primary care level. Um, if you're saying about hormone suppression and all of that, it doesn't stop the progression of endo. Um, it doesn't stop the pain. You know, you try on multiple different hormone treatments, um, GNRH drugs, you know, antagonists to put you into menopause early. You know, we're still being told, young women are still being told to get pregnant. Um, and we're talking about young teens here, you know, of, you know, get pregnant and that will help and suppress your symptoms. But you're not stopping the progression of disease. So are we letting those women continue on for another 15 to 20 years and be in worse pain? And and not just for fertility reasons, but also for um, organs being lost. And, and that is happening here. There needs to be a fellowship, like there needs to be an endometriosis specialist. And we don't have those. Um, there re- you know, they need to do fellowships and training under specialists um, and learn learn the training, learn what endometriosis looks like. And for that to be removed properly, ablation procedures need to stop. Um, and, they need, you know, they need to be educated more on training. Um, and, they, and there has to be someone who wants to do that, who empathizes with patients and, and sees that it's destroying their quality of life. Um, I did. I didn't myself have any fertility problems. Um, I have two boys, um, so I, I didn't have any fertility issues myself. Um, but unfortunately, my uterus had to be removed due to adenomyosis um, because um, my procedures, my births didn't go well because I had endo and it was surrounding my uterus and my ovaries. Um, but again, you know, it's not a uterine disease um, and removing a uterus isn't going to cure that. It is for adeno because adenomyosis is the disease. This of the is uterus, the cousin nearly, isn't it? It's kind of like the first cousin yeah, of endometriosis. Yeah, exactly. It's the cousin of it. So if you're having, you know, if you're having adeno, the, the cure is to remove because it is in inside your uterus. Um, but if you have a hysterectomy and you have endo, that will still be there after the removal of a uterus and ovaries. And there's loads of research okay. to to show that, you know, um, so postmenopausal women, you know, have endometriosis. There's girls, young girls before they get their periods that are experienced symptoms of endometriosis. And it, and it is uh, like you are born with it. it and it's affected by genetic and epigenetic factors. Like it's not um, it's not just 
around your period okay. and it's not just a menstrual disease, you know? Go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to just to, to bring in um, Dr. Peter Boylan, Orla, as well, because Peter's mm-hmm. still here and he's been listening to you and, 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 and listening um, to Katie as well. And I, I know you're not here to, you know, to, to, to diagnose yeah. Peter as such, but like... What learnings can we take for, you know, going forward or into the future from, from Orla and from, from Katie's cases? Well, I think as, as we were discussing earlier on, I think awareness is a, is a huge part of it. And a public awareness campaign, which the HSE are quite good at, at organising. And uh, then education, obviously, of the medical profession. And uh, as your caller just suggested there, that a fellowship in, in endometriosis treatment and diagnosis and so on. But when these regional centres are set up, hopefully uh, they will develop that sort of skill and that sort of specialisation and availability of, of complex treatments. Is that what's needed really? We, do, we need this kind of, whether it's yeah, centres or hubs where, you know, Katie yeah. maybe might have been initially gone to her GP and then would be referred on to this kind of a hub, wherever it is, and that's where it would all be based in one place. Well, it's such a common uh, disease or condition that uh, affecting 10% of, of women. So you would really need a lot of different centres. So as I said earlier on, early endometriosis can be treated by uh, a general gynaecologist who would not be doing it all day, every day, as a specialist, mm. an ultra specialist in, in endometriosis treatment would be. But certainly for more complex cases, um, certainly. And as I said, you know, fertility specialists uh, will have a lot of experience of treating it. But yeah, for the more complex, I think probably more than two uh, regional centres would be necessary. Now, they are talking about the five maternity uh, groups that they would each have a regional centre um, and perhaps they will be developed with time. But it's all kind of slow. It was yeah. a, it was announced in, in March and here we are in in late, you know, middle of October and we haven't got, it don't seem to have progressed an awful lot. Yeah, just finally, Katie, do you think like maybe 10, you know, 12 years ago when you first went to the GP, had there have been adverts at the time or, you know, t- a televised campaign like we have for so many other conditions and warnings and, and different advisory pieces, do you think that would have helped you as a, you know, as a then 13, 14 year old to say, well, do you know what, I've three or four of those symptoms. I reckon that, that sounds like me. That That's me they're talking about. Yeah, well, I suppose I did feel like I kind of had that. Um, I have interviewed Ruth Ann years ago myself. And I think I, it was out of curiosity when I was in college too. I interviewed other girls with endometriosis. I think it was generally me wanting to talk to people about things I kind of thought I had myself. So yeah, I do think if it was out there, I would. Because as I said, I was a journalist, so I wasn't really using my job to chat to people that I felt like had these symptoms. And by chatting to them, I did self-diagnose. I did say I have this and I did go to the doctor and say, you know, I have this, this and this. I know these are signs of PCOS or endometriosis or whatever. And still, I kind of got pushed back. So I do think it is important that people know that it's not just a heavy period. And okay. if there was a campaign, because, you know, I was going to the doctor and I was saying to the, the other girls part of the panel beforehand, you do take the knockbacks when you're told that it's just um, heavy periods or, you know, one day I was handed a piece of paper I thought was like a prescription and she wrote down the CAM app and said, just go home and use the CAM app. So I think the more you're told to the doctor, um, you know, it is just a heavy period or IBS, like I was told mm-hmm. that, all that. 
you take the knockbacks and I did start to convince myself maybe I'm just a hypochondriac, you know, maybe I have a low that's pain threshold. Yeah, it's very, it's very um, difficult and, yeah. and it really, really does affect people. There's no doubt about that. Um, Katie Gallagher from the Irish Daily Mirror, also Dr. Peter Boyle and Orla as well. Thank you for, for getting in touch with us. Look, as I said, it is a big issue and we're not going to just leave it um, at this today. I'm going to continue with our panel, our special panel here on endometriosis in a few moments time. We're going to be asking some of the politicians, like, what can they do? They're the people in power. So we'll, we'll find out in, in a few moments time. But we're also going to host an information evening, an endometriosis event here in Dublin. It's happening on the 25th of October in Drury Buildings in Dublin City Centre. It's at half past six. Now, it's not going to be a broadcast event. It's not going to go anywhere or on radio. But if you just want to come along, if you want to ask some of the experts your questions, if you want to meet other people in the same position as you, you can do that. All you have to do if you want to register, though, you will have to register to come to the event. Just drop me an email. That's lunchtime live at newstalk.com or you can register um, on our website. It's newstalk.com slash endo. We'll be back in a few moments. We're continuing our special panel today on endometriosis and how we can try and improve awareness and diagnostics for the women of Ireland. Um, the Sinn Féin TD Louise O'Reilly is with me here in studio. Louise, you were here with me last year to tell me your own personal story mm. as a, a sufferer of endometriosis. What can change politically though? Like, What can women listening to us today take away that can actually change from this conversation? Well, firstly, it's good that we're having the conversation. Um, if we go go back to, say, my late teens, um, I don't think I could have imagined this being a, a endometriosis and, and women's health in general being such a, a focused subject on the radio. So fair play to you and the team for, for doing it. Politically speaking, what we can do is ensure that we never miss an opportunity to put women's health care forward and that we ensure that it gets equal billing right across the, the, the board along with all other forms of healthcare. I think we need to look also at how women's healthcare is delivered because much of it is delivered through the uh, through the hospitals, which is grand if you need that. But we need really should be delivering a level of uh, gynae care within the uh, the community sector. So in community settings at the level of the general practitioner in the health centre, that's where we need women need to be going. But I think the important thing is that A, we're talking about it and B, that women will be believed. And and I think that's because if you go back to, say, when I was in my late teens, early 20s, the big fear that women had was that you would go to the doctor and they say, well, you know, mm. I know it's uncomfortable and, you know, and all the rest of it, but you wouldn't have a diagnosis where there was a diagnosis yeah. required. And that, I think, okay. has to change. Um, Lisa Chambers, who's a Fianna Fáil leader of the Shannon, is, is with me as well, Lisa, because I, I know it's something that's close to your, your own heart. You've been here with us on the show too before. Like, you can talk about Tala Hospital and the new clinic that's going to be developed in the south of the country but how do we expedite all this change we're talking about? Yeah, so I mean, look, at, if you, similar to Louise, I had never heard of endometriosis growing up and until my sister was diagnosed a few years ago, that was the first time that our family uh, became aware of the condition, which is remarkable because it affects, we think, one in ten women. It could even be a little bit more. Um, and you'll be aware there are different stages, stages mm. one to four, four being the most severe, and that's what my sister yeah. has to deal with, and lots of women as well. And there are different, um, di- I suppose, different tools for diagnosing, and there's different ways of treating depending on how severe it is. But the challenge with endometriosis and touching on what Louise has said around being believed is that it's quite difficult to diagnose. You have to do an invasive procedure called a laparoscopy and actually do keyhole surgery effectively to diagnose it properly. So often it goes unmissed or untreated yeah. for a very long time so and just, takes about nine, ten years to diagnose. Yeah, j- just so in terms is, of the future... 
Yeah, so there is emerging technologies to try and deal with that aspect because if we could diagnose women without having to be so invasive, we would an earlier diagnosis um, can mean getting intervention earlier and can actually stop the d- disease from progressing to a really severe level. So early intervention and early diagnosis mm. using new technologies is something we have to explore. And there's a really good um, Colleen AI, there's a, an Irish company, they're looking at that at the minute. And they brought out something maybe a couple of years ago now. So that's one avenue. In terms of the way we treat currently the pathway for care is through the GP and refer on gynae services. What we have seen in the last years, which has been, you know, we've, we've come really from ground zero. There was very little services there, bar your normal gynae services. Yeah. We're and you could be waiting the, years and years to even get those oh, appointments and, and, and get the scope and all that goes with it. So how do we change that now for the future? So what we're doing to try and change that is, and you mentioned Talit, the specialist unit, that has to be spread out. You know, we can't just have one unit in the country to serve everybody because I'm in Mayo and, you know, it's, it's quite a drive to get there. So those specialist units, you know, even if we had one in each region would be a great start. The see and treat gynae clinics, they're really crucial. So there's a network of those being built up. I think we're at about 10 now. We're going to get to 20. Uh, and they're being spread out across the region so that you're kind of going more direct into gynae services uh, and seeing people with a, a greater expertise. What we are lacking and what is a big challenge um, if you need surgery at a severe level of endometriosis, often it involves a multidisciplinary team because you can have endometriosis mm. not just growing in the room, but on your pelvic yeah. floor, your fallopian tubes. So there's a, it's, a, it's a very complex surgery. And women currently travel to get excision surgery where the root is cut out. And that can be difficult to access here in Ireland. Because so is, 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 that, is, that, is that, Lisa, sorry, is that the, the, the more, um, the, the regional access to the to gynae consultants, Louise, no. that you were talking about? Yeah, I think that's going to be a vital part of it. But I also think we need to, <clears throat> we need to look at investing in, you know, community-based healthcare because not all uh, endometriosis will require surgery, but it does all require a diagnosis. So, I mean, I, I hear what Lisa is saying in relation to um, AI and new forms of technology. That needs to be to be used because that is the thing that will get you the early diagnosis. What and and this is the the common thread through all of the shows is the and that that have been here on News Talk is the length of time mm. that women are left in pain. Well, just on that and like you, you both mentioned new technologies. Um, Sato is with me as well because you're also an endometriosis sufferer, but you're actually working on technology for endometriosis. Yeah, so um, I have, I think I've lived with endometriosis since I was 12, to be honest, which I, but I didn't really think I had anything. I thought I was just going through, you know, the female yeah. cycle situation. So it was one, I remember when I was 16, I was in clinical pain. I couldn't move. I couldn't, I was just screaming and my dad was just standing there not knowing what to do. And all of a sudden the pain stopped. And then it became a process whereby it was a, a gradual um, episode that occurred. So one night I was sleeping. I have a background in engineering and I worked in medical device in Johnson & Johnson previously. And as well as I know the human anatomy to a certain basic level. So one night I was having my episode again because I don't sleep because of it. I mm. don't sleep. I throw up. So it's really bad. So because of that, I was just in pain. My mom, no one can help me. So I kind of do suffer in silence by myself. They do try like, well, that's really all they can do is yeah. just help me. So I just combined two knowledge together and came up with something. And, and I what is it? Um, I'm trying not to be too specific, but it was it, 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 it does come up with an hidden element that helps with inflammation and stuff like that. So it comes up the flares and stuff. And then there is an electrical uh, um, stimulator that's involved in there is certain places that you can place it in that can actually help calm the muscles and relax the, the whole... Is it a device like that you would attach you to actually, yourself? Yeah, it's a device that you actually attach okay. to yourself and it's portable. So it, you can actually leave your room and 
keep, keep yeah. going about which life without and has it been developed or is it I in actually the... created a dummy prototype so that's why I said I uh, that's what I've been using to manage my, my whole why? episodes and stuff and to be fair I haven't gone to the doctor I haven't taken any tablets um, because last time I went to the doctor well a few years ago they stuck me on, on the pills and that really just ruined my old health in general so this has been what yeah. I've been helping when do you hope to have us like uh, the people can maybe uh, have so a, the, prevail of it I suppose so at the moment I'm working with Femtech um, Ireland oh, um, yeah. in UCC and right now we are actually at the stage of the graphic design so I develop we already I have a design engineer to help me create the 3D model and so far now we're looking to get into I've contacted Enterprise Ireland and they are um, interested but we're looking to get into the first product first official prototype stage mm. so we can actually collect as much data as possible to make sure that I'm not hallucinating the whole the fact that it actually works. Brilliant. Pretty yeah, that's that. the kind of, I suppose, technology we're, we're looking at, isn't it, um, Louise, as well? It is it? indeed. That's, it, it, that, that's very welcome and that sounds very interesting. But, you know, and that's for management of the condition, which, you know, a lot of women have to manage. But really what we should be focusing on is ensuring that that journey from your first experience of endometriosis through to diagnosis, through to treatment is made as short yeah. as possible. And in that regard, it was very regrettable that there's very uh, there was very limited amounts in the budget for anything new in health. In fact, there wasn't even really enough just to stand still. So we'll wait and see. I mean, there's much to be welcomed in the, the Women's Health Action Plan. We just need to okay. see implementation well, and delivery. It's been, you know, I do really appreciate everybody coming in today and, and joining us. As I said, you know, we've, we've been hearing about it and getting emails about this for weeks now, really on end. And I know we've been talking about it for the past two weeks. So I, I thought we had to, to do something given the, the demand and how much people want to chat about endometriosis. So to Alana Darcy, Siobhan Kelleher, Dr. Peter Boylan, Katie Gallagher, uh, Orla as well, Sinn Féin, um, TD Louise O'Reilly, Lisa Chambers, Sato Aya as well. Thank you so much for, for joining us today on the programme. I really appreciate all your time in studio. As I said, if you want to register for the event, you can do so. Just go to newstalk.com slash endo and you'll be able to get all of the details there.